hope and to see what he calls us, that he calls us to bear witness to the hope he's given us. Now last week you would have heard uh, of the beginning of what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. We're still fairly early on in that journey in this passage. Um, Paul and Barnabas have set out and are seeking to take the gospel to the Gentiles. As God has called them. They've already been through a number of towns and we hear a little in the first 13 verses of their journey so far. But here we have a fairly extensive account of some of the teaching of Paul in Pisidian Antioch. Now last week Michael talked about Acts being the story of the kingdom mustard seed growing uh, at a phenomenal rate at God's hand. And that story is going to continue. He also said that God even used persecution in Jerusalem to spread his followers out and with them the gospel to new towns and regions. And again we see in our reading today, God in control. And though there is persecution, it stands to show not the weakness of the apostles' message, but is recorded as evidence of both the Jews' rejection of the gospel and of God's ability to bring people to faith and hope and joy even while persecution is happening. The story of Acts is the story of God at work in human history. It is the story of God using his obedient servants to build and grow his church. So the first thing I like to draw out of this chapter is God at work and Christians in obedience. So in this chapter we see Paul and Barnabas set aside in the first few verses prior to our reading and uh, yeah, set aside to be sent out because God has called them. And we see the leaders in Antioch obediently commissioning and sending them. In this passage we read, uh, in the passage we read, we see both God's call and his work through the Holy Spirit. We also see clearly the results of Christians walking in obedience. Namely, that they have a part in what God is doing. That sounds pretty good to me, being able to have a part in God's work. So God is at work in calling Paul and Barnabas. He's at work in equipping and gifting them for their calling. He's at work in making the gospel clear in the hearts of the listeners. Even in the message Paul preaches, he highlights how God called Israel for a purpose, gave them leaders, judges, kings, prophets, that Jesus' life and death was a fulfilment of both the law and the prophets. Paul preaches a message about God at work in human history, bringing about his great plan for the forgiveness of sins. And there's also human obedience happening here. When God calls them to do so, the church in Antioch do set aside Barnabas and Paul. Those two men obey and go out and preach the gospel. That proclamation, that proclamation is met with faith. And the result is that many experience the forgiveness of sin. The text says in verse 48, As many as were appointed for eternal life believed. Here we see again God's will and action and human obedience. Somehow, in that moment where we will to believe, God meets us and our will meshes with his. And he enables and grows faith in us. 
So God is at work and Christians work with him in obedience. The second thing I like to draw out here is that God has always been the God of grace. The message Paul preaches here uh, is based on the Old Testament. Uh, uh, the exodus from Egypt, the conquest of the land of Canaan, the giving of judges, kings, prophets, all lead to Jesus, he says. Jesus was the climax of the history of God interacting with humanity up until that point. It was all leading to him. And the law and the prophets all pointed to him and were fulfilled in him. The Old Testament characters who were accounted righteous before God in the Old Testament are given that title because they put their faith in him, not on how well they kept the law. It's the ones like David who realise their sinfulness and throw themselves on the mercy of God who receive his blessing. Those who recognise they needed redeeming for their sins in the Old Testament find that their hope is made complete in Jesus. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 130, he says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, Yahweh. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Yahweh, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for Yahweh. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in Yahweh. For with Yahweh is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He will himself redeem Israel from all their sins. And the hope of that psalmist was completed in Jesus. So the message of the Bible, Old and New Testament, has always been that we are a sinful people in need of God's mercy and that he freely gives it and forgives sin. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is the act of love and mercy that makes God's forgiveness complete. But often people are veiled from this truth. In the Old Testament, many of the people of Israel were. The Pharisees in Jesus' time certainly were. The leaders of the Jews who arranged Jesus' crucifixion thought they were dealing with a dangerous rebel and heretic, not recognising that his death was atoning for their sin, if they would but put their faith in him. Paul, when he was still Saul on the road to Damascus, was blind to the truth until he met the living Jesus. There's almost a physical manifestation of his spiritual state in that story. He's struck blind, but Jesus heals him. Just as he was blind to the truth of the gospel until he met Jesus. And we see it today too. People don't think they need Jesus. They think they know the Christian message, but they haven't really grappled with the gospel. I know I see it and I've seen it uh, all the time. The last time I remember was at Jaffa, uh, our kids club, Friday night. Um, there's always a gospel message. It doesn't how, matter how, matter, pardon me, doesn't matter how clearly the message is portrayed, how simply it's stated, 
there'll always be some who simply don't hear it. Just weeks ago, one of our leaders gave a great talk on whether we should live our way or God's way. Now, I don't know how many times she said, the only way to God is through Jesus. The only way to live God's way is by believing in Jesus. We can't do it ourselves. You've got to believe in Jesus. And then we had small groups where they heard the same message again. Then we quizzed the kids before we played games with them and asked, how do we have relationship with God? And can you guess the answer we got? That's what they said. Be good. We've got to be good. They're veiled. This is what 2 Corinthians 3, 12, uh, 18 says. So he's talking about the, uh, the Jews and Moses here. <clears throat> Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his faith to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Um, so Moses went and hung out with God, and he was so intimate with God that when he came out, his face was all shiny. So he'd actually physically veil his face. Um, So he's saying we're not like that. Uh, But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, but only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. How wonderful to have unveiled faces, to be able to see the truth of the gospel. But not only that, to begin to reflect the image of God as we were made to We need to pray that God would help us to reveal the truth of his gospel and that when we do, people would have the unveiled hearts they need to be able to receive it. So we've seen that God's at work and that Christians should walk in obedience. Uh, We've talked about God always being the God of grace. The third thing I'd like to draw out is that we need to submit every plan to the Lordship of Christ. Now Paul's usual pattern when he visited a new town was to go first to the synagogue and preach to the Jews. Paul clearly has a heart for the Jews. Uh, If you want to read a bit more about his heart for his own people to come to faith, um, go to Romans 9 to 11. Um, He really pours his heart out there. Um, And it seems like it's it's God's imperative to him. Uh, He says in verse 46, Uh, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. But it's not as though this is just coming to him on the fly to suddenly offer salvation to the Gentiles. He goes on saying, For this is what the Lord commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So Paul is being obedient to God here, both in going first to the Jews and also in making sure 
the Gentiles hear the gospel, because that was his call. And the end result for Barnabas and Paul is that they're driven out of town. Not, um, not what most people want when they go and preach the gospel. Um, but the last word of the chapter is about God filling the disciples, the believers, with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So that's actually a pretty good result. There's a sense as you travel through Acts that God is at work. That's very strong. But sometimes God at work looks like this. We went to this town and the Lord let us work there for 18 months and established a church. Isn't God amazing? And other times it tells it like this. We went to this town and we got to preach there two Saturdays in a row and then they kicked us out. Lots of people believed. Isn't God amazing? Whatever the situation, in the book of Acts, God is at work and his plan prevails. That is why as Christians we need to be careful not to hold onto our own plans too tightly. I know Michael talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, it would have made sense from my, from my thinking for Paul and Barnabas, having received the call to witness to Gentiles, to have a good route and schedule planned out. Uh, they certainly seem to have plans. But they could have said, uh, we need to target these six cities, spending at least six months and a maximum of two years in each in order to maximise the efficiency of our gospel propagation and allowing time to establish viable churches. That's the plan. Uh, instead, their attitude is more like what James describes in James 4. He says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. That's the attitude they went with. And we too are to live with this attitude as Jesus' church. We are not our own. We've willfully made Jesus the Lord and Master of our lives. Therefore we must be resolved to submitting to his will, especially submitting the things we've planned to do with and for him. This isn't to say that obedience uh, of God's instructions will guarantee uh, that we'll get what we would deem success. But we have a chance then to be part of what God is doing. The prevailing thought of any plan should be that we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. Now, just a final word. Um, I remind you again, God is the God of grace. He is, as he describes himself, compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Now we've talked a little bit about obedience today, about submitting ourselves to the will of God, but we've also talked about God being the God of grace and those things actually fit together. Um, Part of obedience is actually we get to experience God's grace in being part of what he's doing. Now, my intention has not been to make you feel guilty, uh, but rather to help you see that as servants of Christ, 
as people in relationship with him, of course, we should be seeking to be obedient. And the good news is that Jesus is well able to deal with our failings. He's able to forgive again and again. So if you're any, feeling any sort of guilt or com- condemnation today, I apologise. But the answer is quite simple. Bring it to Jesus. Confess that you failed him. Ask him to forgive you. And know that he has. Um, so that's what I wanted to share with you today. Just let me pray for you. God, I want to thank you that you are the God of grace. And Lord, you are at work in the world around us. Lord, you're at work revealing yourself. You're at work as we seek to serve you, Lord. Lord, help us to be your obedient servants. Help us to joyfully submit every plan to you knowing that your will is good and your purposes are beyond our imagination and our plans, Lord. Lord, we give ourselves to you again today. And Lord, we pray all these things in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen.